We are studying from the book of James, and verse 18 is where we would be this morning, and it was so appropriate that I spent my time in preparation from James chapter 1 and verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 1 and verse 18. We looked at verse 17 last week, and we look this morning at uh, verse 18. And um, we're thinking of Christ's death for us. We're thinking of what James said, that all good gifts come from God. The only thing that God gives to us is good. And sometimes it is very hard when we think of what's happening in the world to, to, to really zero in on the goodness of God. I, I, was, I was driving on Market Street in Toronto. Oh, my word, not in Toronto. That's a, that's a Freudian slip. I was driving on Market Street in Salem, and the, the trees just arch the whole driveway, and you're driving through there, and you could see the beautiful yellow uh, leaves and so on, and then I was sitting in, in my family room, and then I saw those leaves passing my window, <laughs> and uh, what, what a beautiful time, the changing of the seasons that God gives to us. And not only that, um, there was an election in Canada this past week, and uh, the wrong party won, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and and the, the goodness of God is that we can have an election in the United States and Canada, and the government can change hands without any kind of fight, any kind of conflict between the parties or the soldiers, the, the goodness of God. And we talked about, uh, we had a visitor in here last week, and I spoke on the, the dark side of goodness. And that person hadn't been to church for a long time. And this person said to me afterwards, I was really hit by that idea of the dark side of goodness because there are times when the goodness of God is not apparent in what experiences we're having at the time. But that does not change the fact that God is good. And the song, I think somebody wrote it, God is good, God is good, all the time I think, I think the song goes. And so it is. And so we're looking at the supreme good of all the good things that God did for us. Listen to what verse 17 says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Satan does not give you or me anything that is good. Only God gives what is good because only God is good. And so verse 18 now takes us to what I call the supreme goodness of God. It is one thing for us to have rain, to have elections free of conflicts and violence. It's one thing for us to enjoy the freedom of seeing the season change. But it is another thing to experience the goodness of God 
in the giving of his son on the cross for your sins and mine. That's the supreme goodness. I spoke with someone some time ago. The person was going through a very difficult time. And I asked this person, what is God's primary expression of his love for you? What is God's primary expression of his love? And the person thought for a while and said, I guess it's the cross. The one way that God shows us how much he loves us was allowing his son to go to the cross. But then we have to think in terms of God's goodness. What was it in you or what was it in me that made God want to love us and send his son to die for us? What, what, what merits did you bring to God? Have you ever, have you ever heard the thought that, that God was lonely in heaven so he made human beings? That's a horrible blasphemous thought. There's not a need in God. God does not have a need that, that has to be fulfilled. So James in chapter 1 verse 18. Please follow in your Bibles as I read it. Verse 18 of chapter 1. Perhaps I should read 17 and 18. But 18 is our f- focus this morning. Every good thing or gift... And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows in the exercise of his will. Now, if you have a King James translation, there is a a word that King James has that the rest of the text do not have. It says, who of his own will, of his own will, And I think that is very, very important. And I don't know why the new translations did not put it. But it's of his own will, James says. He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruit among his creatures. Now I have so many minutes to share with you what took me one full day to prepare. And I trust that what God wants you to hear, you will hear this morning. The word brought forth, in King James translation again, has the word begat. That God of his own will begat. It is this motif of, of birth that James is using to show us the spiritual equivalent, if you please, in what God has done. And James is telling us, first of all, That God was moved by his own will, not by pressure from anything outside of himself. God cannot be pressured. He made the choice within himself to bring you and me to spiritual birth. Your salvation and mine is not because of the kind of people we are. In fact, Paul writes in in Romans 6, 23, how many have sinned? All. Nobody is is exempt. Not queen, 
not presidents, not prime minister, all have sinned. So here we need to know something about God if we are to understand the uniqueness of God's will determining how we will be saved. Not who will be saved, but how we will be saved. What will take place? Listen to what James tells us, or what the Bible tells us. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 14. Whom did God consult? And who made him understand anything? Who taught him the path of justice or taught him knowledge or should show him understanding. Now listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. He works all things according to the counsel of his own will. God works all things. He doesn't have a counsel around him. He doesn't have Michael and Gabriel, and they, they advise him as how things are to, are, are to take place. He determined, and we cannot fully grasp this, how God determines, in spite of his absolute perfect knowledge, he knew what kind of a person this boy would be. He knew what kind of a person this girl would be, and yet he provided for that boy and that girl by determining within himself that he was going to do it. God was not pressured. God was not manipulated. N nobody said to God, do this and I'll do this. His motivation was his own. So what do you and I have to boast about being born again, nothing. The only boast we have, my friends, is the boast of the cross. Nothing else. Because it is his own determination to bring salvation to us. But I want you to see the, the, the mystery of it. Not only the motivation. Of his own will, he brought forth. The idea is that salvation is like physical birth. There is a behind the scene. We cannot tell how. We cannot tell when. We simply know that this, this operation is taking place. And at a certain point, and, and I say this very carefully. Uh, I, I remember um, when Lois was pregnant with both of our children. Um, we were not too sure. And, and the test for her pregnancy test was Kentucky Fried Chicken. I brought it in the house, and she said, get it out of the house. I, I never experienced that before. And so when our son came 15 years later, <laughs> and Lois said, I think I'm pregnant. And I said, all right, let's give it a test. So I went to Colonel Butt, uh, Colonel Sanders, got Kentucky Fried Chicken. Get it out of here, I said, it's true. <laughs> mystery, mystery. There's something beautiful about it, my friends, but it's a mystery. Can you tell how a child comes into existence? 
if, if you, you, you tell the process, but you cannot tell how. You, you, cannot, you cannot embrace the mystery of birth. Well, if that is so, my friends, with the physical, what about the spiritual birth? Nicodemus went to Jesus and he said, we know that you are a teacher sent from God and no one can do the things you're doing except God is with him. And Jesus abruptly said to Nicodemus, except a man be born from above. See, God in heaven, for you and I to be saved, sent his son to the cross on earth and God used the, birth, the death of his son to bring life, spiritual life, into you and to me that were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's a mystery. And Einstein was right. When we lose the sense of mystery, we stop living. My friends, our salvation, every time we come to the table... It should be the one service we want to rush to because once again, we will think through the will of God expressed in the death of his son, the mystery of God expressed in my salvation. He begat us of his own will. Uh, there's much more that I could say, but I hope you get the message that our salvation, the source is all God's. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to you for dress and weary for rest. The source of spiritual birth is the divine mind, and it is a divine mystery. Quickly, the scriptures on our spiritual birth. Look at the text again from James chapter 1. He says this. He brought us forth by the word of truth. The word of truth, namely the scriptures. That phrase is used about five times in the, in the New Testament and several times in the Old Testament. The word of truth. I want to deal with this word, word, just for a moment. The Bible deals with the word, word, in two different and specific ways. First, as a person, as a person. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was from the beginning. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, verse 14, and the Word became flesh. The person of Jesus. Jesus is God's expression. He's God's word. Jesus does not tell us what God says. Jesus tells us what we need to know because he is God's son. And the father and the son and the Holy Spirit collaborated within the Godhead, but he did not do it without some physical expression, and that is Jesus Christ came into the world incarnate to, in flesh so that we can see God's expression in God's Son. You know, later on, 
Jesus is going to speak to, to, to the disciples. And listen to what he says. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He's God's word. He's God's expression. That's, that's what words do. They express things. Well, Jesus is God's expression. He's the one who came from within the Godhead and expressed to us the reality of God, the person of Jesus. And oh my, I have in my library at home a whole section on the person of Jesus Christ. A whole section. And that's only some of them because the rest of them are in boxes in the garage. There's no room for it. Because you cannot exhaust this person to know Jesus Christ as, as the person who came into the world, born like a babe in Bethlehem, to simply know that, my friends, is simply to begin just to enter into the entrance of the door of salvation. He invites us to come and explore him as God's express representation and the very nature of God walking among human beings. The person as the word. Absolute necessity, there's a need for it. God was not going to save us any other way apart from the word. But the word is also a proposition. A proposition. A proposition is a statement made that's verifiable. The evidence. Someone said to me last weekend, we don't have any evidence for God. And I allow this person to talk. And then I said, I am very sorry. I have to disagree with you. Evidence, we have evidence galore. I'm going to tell you what we've done with the evidence. We have suppressed them. We have said of the evidence, we won't have this man to rule over us. God has given us, uh, I think it was um, the, uh, the uh, British atheist who said if he ever gets to heaven and God asked him, why didn't you believe, Burton Russell why didn't you believe in me? I will say to him, you didn't give me enough evidence. I mean, that is, that, that is like, well, let me not say what it's like. We'll leave it like that. The statement as a fact. Jesus said this of God's word. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. We have been in the last 50 years through three periods of time in North America, if you please, and not in the world. The first period, until 1950, we believed that truth existed scientifically. From about the middle of, of 1970, we entered into what is known as a post-modern post age. We are beyond, beyond scientific truth. We want another kind of truth. Well, in fact, we wanted no truth. Because in the post-modern world, there is no truth. Someone walked up to someone else and said, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And the person said, do you believe that? He said, yes. Well, that means that if no such thing as absolute truth, you just made an absolute statement. Therefore, what you said does not really make sense. So we live, that's a postmodern world. And when you read it, you, you, just, you just cannot believe that people, people think that stuff. But today, friends, we live in what is known as a post-truth world, a post-truth world. You know what a post-truth is? 
A post-truth is, even if there is truth, I don't care. That's a post-truth world. That, 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 that I, I only need to know that I exist and I am concerned about me. I couldn't care less about anything. And so we are developing ideas every day by which to live. And it's like hanging in midair because before too long, we are deceived by it. The word, listen, listen, listen to this. I said to this person who said we don't have evidence. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. After you listen to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. After you listen to the message of truth. What, what truth? The truth about your soul. The truth about the existence of God. The truth about the sinfulness of man. The truth about God's redemptive purpose. After you listen to the message, you will not find that any other place but in the scriptures. And Paul says, after you listen to that, you were saved. The gospel is the message from God as how human being can be redeemed. Colossians chapter 1 verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel is our evidence. Jesus said, these things are written that you might believe. Evidential things that we can believe. We're not only making up something that, that will give us kind of nice feelings once a month. It happened in space and time that a man in the middle cross was there dying screaming out, my God, my God, why hast thou forgiven me, for, uh, forgotten me? And he was talking to one who was existing in heaven, who was passing judgment on earth, a fact that cannot be denied. The gospel of truth. 1 Peter 1.23. You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You tell me why I value this book. I value this book, my friends, because this is God's, this is God's word to my soul. This book is God's revelation to me about my destiny. This book is God's message to me about my sin, about your sins, about the sins of the world. The gospel comes in says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I, I must overlook a few things here and get to my third thought. The significance of spiritual birth. The significance of spiritual birth. Listen to verse 18 again, the third part of verse 18. So that, whenever you see those little two in the, in the Bible, so that it is pointing to something. So that, we would be a kind of first fruit among his creatures. He, he, he begat us. He brought us forth like a mother giving birth to a child. So God brought spiritual birth in the same way. And when, when, when it was finished, the purpose of it was. Let me suggest to you what spiritual birth does. It alters our lives. It, it brings a radical change in our lives. Let me take you through the five processes of this alteration. 
First, there is conception. Conception. This is followed by extraction. That's birth. Then we experience redemption. Then we experience transformation. And then ultimately we experience glorification. Every believer has that purpose for which he or she has been redeemed so that we go through the process of having been conceived by the Holy Spirit, then spiritual birth takes place. The, the word, therefore, begat is a, is a word we don't use too often anymore. It's the word regeneration. That, that to regenerate is to bring back life out of dead things. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Put another way, someone put it this way, I love this. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. But I thank God that one day I will be everything I want to be. That's the process. That's the alteration. From deadness to life. And from life to be redeemed, to be, redeemed, to be transformed. And then one day, glory in heaven. And uh, the advantage, the advantage that we might be a kind of first fruit. First fruit is an expression that comes from the Old Testament. The first fruit, when the firstborn takes place, that is given to God as a down payment that the rest will all be his. We studied that on Wednesday night, studying the tabernacle. The first fruit is that the first fruit from the body is given to God and so in the same spiritual way, we then, when we are born again, we become a kind of first fruit for God. Now, let me tell you what that means quickly in two words. First fruit speaks of ownership. And then it speaks of provision. Ownership, first fruit, that it belongs to God. And after that... God himself begins to work and show the privilege that the child of God has. Please listen to it, ultimately. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, talking about the resurrection of Jesus. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as, was, as by one man sin came into the world, even so... In one man, Christ Jesus, all will be made alive. But each, first, Christ first, and each in his order. Christ the first fruit, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. First fruit are simply the people of God. Every time we are born again, we become a first fruit to God, showing that he owns us. And then, as being owned by God. God makes you and me his priority. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, When Jesus comes again, the dead in Christ shall rise first. First. And we which are alive, in a time to come, God's greatest concern 
will always be for those who are his. There are times when we go through the dark side of goodness, but there is never a time that God is not good. If he gave his son, my favorite verse of scripture, if I have one, is Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's the privilege that we have, even now in this world. Sometimes the pain is so severe we don't know what to do, but we live each moment with a hope that says, this too shall pass, because there's coming a new heaven and a new earth, and I'm going to be a part of it, and there'll be no unrighteousness in that world. We are first fruit. We are God's owner. We are God's possession. And we are God's priority. That's what first fruit means. I trust that God will use this meditation to encourage us as we go through this pilgrimage. We're through as living in this world still. Let us pray. The supreme good. If nothing else, when we go through the dark side of goodness, we can always remember the cross. We can always remember the, 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 the tomb. It is empty. And the disciples didn't steal the body. He rose. And as the singer says, he's alive. He's alive. He's not hiding. But his purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. <clears throat> oh, God, help us to trust in the goodness of God. And when we cannot understand or see the footsteps of God, we will believe in the word of God, in the heart of God, in the word of God. Thank you for the supreme goodness. The perfect gift that God gave was the gift of salvation in his son. And I pray if there should be anyone in here this morning who has not yet surrendered to Jesus Christ as Savior, that they shall call upon him now as, Lord, that man who went into the temple and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It seems almost impossible that that cry alone led to that man being set free to become an, a possession of God and a priority of God. And I pray that if anyone in here, Lord, has not trusted in Jesus, that it shall happen as it happened to that man and they shall leave this place justified because they have called upon the name of the Lord. Pray in his name. This is a wonderful song. Please stand with me and let's sing it from the heart. 